This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Megan, before you step out of the studio, out to the newsroom and get back to work and all that other stuff you have to do, uh, how about your kids and Halloween? They have their costumes already or do they dress up? They do. And you know what? This year we waited until the 11th hour to get them. We did a, a frantic run Thursday night to try to find costumes. And? So. Um, one is going as the Grim Reaper. Whoa. Yeah. And the other is going as a Yama. <laughs> Dalai Lama <Yeah>. or Yama? <laughs> Yama. Like the animal. Yeah. yeah. Right. So. And how about you? What's your costume? Uh, tired, middle-aged woman. <laughs> <laughs> that could be um, yeah, frightening. Mom of two kids. Yeah. No, I'm that kidding. That is the most frightening costume of all. So if you knew, you know me for a, quite a long time, what kind of costume do you think I would wear? Wizard of Oz. Oh, shit. <laughs> You'd be the man behind the curtain. What do you think? Oh, or a great. leprechaun. <laughs> I was thinking more like a cornstalk or something. <laughs> well, great. That's great. Your kids, it sounds like you found what you wanted and everything yeah, else. Yeah, all the fake blood you can handle. Oh. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, great. Have a good hour, and I'll see you in an hour, actually. (laughs) Folks, every Saturday morning, we get together. We discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants. I've got my houseplants. Lights are on in the basement, the grow lights, and uh, getting ready to bring them in today when I get home. How about potting mixes versus soil improvement? How about this? How about pruning versus bugs and diseases? How about planting to removal to installation? Is there still time? Yes, remember my words, open opportunities, but after that, it's going to take work on your part, mental and physical both. It's a great marathon, and it's wonderful fun, and uh, there is no, there's very few sprints. A sprint would be like if you went out and bought a pot of mums that was budded and just set them out on your front porch or whatever, and then when they finish flowering, then you just give them the toss. This is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Greg Norman. No, not Greg Norman. Isn't that the golfer? No, Greg Harvey. And uh, he's producing again today. I greatly appreciate all his efforts. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And I come to your home, and uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage, there's my email address and phone number. And when I get to your home, we can discuss problems. We can discuss aesthetic situations and everything else. And today, I'm headed out towards De Pere after the show for a walk and talk. The Good Gardening Stroll today is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861 
3344. As I pulled up to the curb, damp, shiny. I mean, these were really shiny fallen leaves. We're really sparkling the street and sidewalk. A lighted Halloween decorations across the street. A banner declares Lafayette Square Halloween Party and Parade, October 31st at 5.30. And if you want more information about the Lafayette Square Halloween Party and Parade, you can go to lafayettesquare.org and you can get the information there. I went through the gates. Boy, oh boy, these acorns, there were so many on the ground. There's two oak trees as you go through the the gates right at the corner there. And I was just shocked at how many acorns there were there. Uh, Luckily, I didn't sort of like roll too much and take a stumble, but no, wasn't any big deal at all. I walked over to the uh, flagpole, and there is a boxwood hedge around the flagpole. But the flags were really hanging straight down. There was no breeze at all this morning, which I was kind of grateful for because it would have made it feel much cooler than what it was. There's a couple park benches that sit there along the curved walkway. And there's a real gaslight above the door of this historic police building in Lafayette Square. A pot of juniper stands guard at the door. A dual trunk magnolia with U-Y-E-W accents right there at the other side of the front door. And uh, there's a little thing there that says scan QR code if you're interested in taking a tour of Lafayette Square. So underneath the Magnolia, there were some hostas, and around the corner to the north side of the building, there was also other plants that were saying, hmm, we're almost ready for a winter's nap. There was hydrangea there that was giving some nice different texture. An elevated urn had cascading ivy floating along its edges, and then a short walkway around to the gazebo. But all of a sudden I heard quack, 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 quack. So Lafayette Square has these ducks that live in the lakes. And so I guess it was kind of early for them to be up, so I was a little bit surprised they were quacking. But I didn't make a you know, I didn't get a chance to walk over there and see what that was all about. Around to the west side of the building, the gazebo is attached to the back door, and that adds great detail. Around to the south side of the building, gold thread branch cypress really looks perfect. There was a clump of iris, and I was shocked to see these iris that were blooming. White flowered iris. Hmm. Must be some confusion going on there. And other plants along the south side of the building includes foster holly, some spireas, and some yews finish off the building's south side. The moon was pushing the clouds out of the way, so it was good to see the moon again. Hopefully you got to see the full moon a couple days ago. And uh, it was just a nice, cool morning to be walking around Lafayette Square. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll be back after these messages. It's the wildest deli challenge of all time. Down goes Mom's Deli. Oh, oh no, are you serious? Down goes Southwest Deli. Can't believe it. Down goes Blue City Deli. Oh, it's over, baby! The final four features Ivaldi against Amagetti's in one bracket and Pickles versus McKenzie in the other. Everybody's ready to go. The wildest deli challenge of all time. Vote now. Vote often. KMOX.com slash deli. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How about the tree color? 
It is absolutely spectacular. And tomorrow, Tracy and I get to do something a little bit different. Well, not different. We've actually done it before. Tracy grew up, and one of the things she wanted to be, her father was a lawyer, so she wanted to be a lawyer, but also she wanted to be a pilot. So every couple of years, I get her an hour of flying. We go to the St. Charles Flying Flying Service, I believe. It's out in Portage de Sioux, and uh, we take an hour flight where we're in a, you know, a small propeller plane, and we picked the date this year, which is going to be tomorrow, because we want to look down and see all the fall colors. But, I mean, this year the maples are nothing short of spectacular in all of them. It is really kind of incredible. So Tracy gets to fly. I get to sit in the back seat as a passenger. And, uh, you know, obviously there's somebody there that really knows how to fly. But she gets to steer and do all that other stuff. And so, consequently, that's what we're looking at is tomorrow. But just in your own landscape and everything else, you can just take it easy and uh, just enjoy. This is a time of year to really do an evaluation and consequently evaluate, and that's going to make it so you can work and towards having a better landscape just in general. So this year was kind of tragic from various perspectives, and uh, one of them was lawns, and we're going to be talking about that a little bit later too. It is like I never saw a year quite like this past one. And uh, some of the, you know, I, I had no idea what the weather was going to do in relationship to the fall color. I thought, well, maybe this, maybe that. And it just goes to show you, you never know. Mother Nature really rules. So let's go now to the phones, and let's start off in Washington, Missouri, and go to Ray. Ray, how are you today? Fine and dandy, Mike. Thank you for having me on our program, okay? C certainly. Okay, I've got a question about uh, elephant ears. I've got uh, elephant ears, uh, that bulb, that has produced each year a larger and larger plant. Now, when I pull it out of the ground this year, I'm going to have to cut that because it's a space. I'm going to have to make it into two plants. Mm -hmm. So do I cut that when I pull it out of the ground, or do I wait until in spring when I replant that? You can do it either way. Pull it out of the ground, clean it off entirely, and, I mean, you'll see, you, you probably bought originally an elephant you know, ear bulb, and you know what they look like. So, consequently, there should be a bunch of little bulbs there. I would probably, my tendency would be sometime either now when you pull it up out of the ground or during the wintertime, break it apart so that way where the break is and, the, you know, you get the separate bulbs, that will heal over entirely before you put it back into the ground next year because you don't want to put any kind of open-wounded bulb into the ground because the tendency for rot is it just expands tremendously, exponentially higher if there is an open wound on the bulb. Okay, that sounds great. I appreciate your advice. Well, and elephant ears are great. I, you know, I have two different varieties myself. I haven't pulled them out of my pots yet. I have put them in the garage so the soil will dry off. So when I shake them off, they can, uh, you know, I can really get a better look at what they're, you know, what's going on. And this past week, also, uh, this past Wednesday, I pulled all my cannas out of the pots. Oh, what a nightmare that was! They were so huge. Some of them were actually so many, so much root mass in the pots that they were sort of making the pots crack, you know, so I'm going to have to get some new pots. Those were plastic pots. And then I have some of those styrofoam stamp type pots too, and it made it what normally was round, it turned it into an oval. That shows you the power of some of these roots on some of these, let's say, summer type bulbs. 
Let's go now to Kevin, and Kevin lives in St. Charles. Kevin, how are you today? Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call sure. and your show. I uh, planted some green giant arborvitaes uh, about two months ago, and now they seem to be a lot of the limbs are turning brown. Ooh. And I'm not sure if it's just a stress from the move or something else is going on, and I'm wondering if there's anything you can suggest that uh, I can do to maybe improve my chances of keeping them. I'm afraid I might be losing them. Yeah, that sound does not sound good. Because the arborvitae, I mean, there should be no brown on them, no, you know, under any kind of circumstance. Even if you planted them in the heat of the summertime, if they were planted properly, in other words, the hole was three times the diameter of the root ball, and the top crown of the root ball, in other words, the top of it, where the trunk and the root systems meet, is higher than the surrounding ground. And arborvitae do not like wet soil. So if it's a, you know, if there's a circumstance where they're getting wet around them, that's not a good sign either. So... If they're just if it's just sort of random brownness, you can go ahead and just prune that out because it's never going to return to green and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. But there's nothing to do. Definitely don't, you know, cut back on any kind of additional watering if you've been doing anything along that line. No fertilizer, nothing. And it's just going to be a matter of like waiting waiting and kind of just seeing what's going to happen. Okay. I'll keep my fingers crossed. I yeah. appreciate your advice. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of tragic because you don't expect or you certainly don't want something that's an evergreen uh, to be showing brown already. And that's kind of now contrary to that, if this were if these were pines and there was interior needles on the pines or spruce, that would be a natural thing. But with arborvitae, their certainly their center will ultimately have no greenness to them. But a newly planted one, usually there should be green all the way through, up and down, all the way into the interior. So thanks, Kevin. And now let's go to Helen and Baldwin. Hi, Helen. Hi. Uh, Mike, I just want to ask you, is this a, a time now to uh, cut iris back to maybe six inches and cut off the peonies? Oh, Absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and the peonies you could have done a little bit prior to this, especially if they were starting to get black spot or the powdery mildew on them. Because a lot of times as we, you know, as they finish blooming, which is around Memorial Day usually, or sometimes early June, and then the foliage just stays. But as the season goes on, they have a tendency to have, you know, foliar fungus problems. And to prevent that from, let's say, getting worse and worse and worse and inoculating the soil so next year, the following year, when the leaves come up out of the ground, they can pick up the spores of the fungus. That's why you generally want to cut them down even a little bit sooner than this. But if they're, you know, it's, yeah, definitely cut everything down along those lines. Daylilies, too. Anything, any kind of perennial right now that is, you know, the foliage is about half yellow, they, they can be cut because they're not going to, you know, build up the strength of the root system or the plant, you know, any more this year. Okay. The, the one peony that's mostly in the shade really had a lot of mildew. Ooh. Others didn't. But, uh, so, well, thanks a lot. Well, sure. Yeah, and maybe think about moving the peony that's in the shade because that's certainly not what they like. But if you like where it is and you don't mind the powdery mildew on them, then, um, you know, leave it where it is. Let's go now from Baldwin to DePair and go into Gus's yard. Hi, Gus. Hi. I got some fig trees, and I was wondering if you know anything about fig trees. Yeah. You mean real figs, hardy figs, outside figs, or are you talking yeah. about the tropical outside. figs? These figs, they bear fruit sometimes, but they haven't done this year. And they're sitting out there, 
and they're uh, growing. They they come normally they grow for a while and stop during the summer heat. Right. And they, that's but this time they stop and they start growing wood again. Well, this year was screwy. You know, I mean, there's been certain things that just, you know, seem totally out of sequence. But if you've had good luck with them in the past, a lot of times fruiting trees, and for people that don't understand, there's actually a type of fig that grows here. And there, if you go into the hill neighborhood, that you can go and go down the alley so you can see in people's backyard. There are quite a few people that are growing figs in their backyard, just like Gus is in De Pere. But... Uh, you know, sequentially, fruit trees just in general have a year where they do more, and then the following year is going to generally be a little bit less. So this might be just a less year for the fruiting. But if the leaves look healthy and you're getting, you know, growth out of sort of sequence that normally happens, don't worry too much about it. It's mainly if the foliage looks healthy, that's what's most important. They haven't fruited this year for some reason. Right. Sometimes they just, you know, because of the, the screwball weather or whatever it happens to be. So that's just one of those things. I wouldn't say that I'd be overly concerned about it. And just you're just going to have to wait and see what happens next year. My father brought this root uh, from Greece in 1920. Whoa. That's impressive. So. <laughs> well, it's like a weed. You, you take a root, you shove it in the ground, it grows. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So, uh, I mean, congratulations uh, to your father and to you for keeping it alive. I mean, that's been almost 100 years. If he brought it back in 1920, did you say? Yeah, he was over there for some reason. Visited the family, came back with this root, and we moved this root around all over the place. So. <laughs> Shows you how tough those plants really are. Well, it's like a weed. <laughs> they have froze yeah. down to the ground several times and grow again. Right. And so the fact that it didn't have any fruit this year, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Okay, thank you. Yep. Oh, I got another question. Okay. I got two oak trees out here. One of them is dead and the other is dying. Ooh. Any, any comment? Uh, there's, no, there's no major disease or anything that, that's, you know, impacting the oaks. You know, so I can't honestly say, are they the pin oak types or are they the white oak types? Um, I'd say they're more pinup. Okay, so Actually, they don't look like either one. <laughs> you know, because what can happen is if one tree has a disease, and if they're in close proximity, and the root systems grow over the top of each other, they they'll sort of like I don't want to say they'll work into each other. So the one that has a disease could actually transmit the disease through the root system to the other tree. So that may be what happened. And I, oh, go ahead. I was going to say these trees are over 100 years old. Yeah, so maybe that's a factor, too. It's just like anything. I mean, that's really, really pretty darn old old for any kind of tree. And, it's, you know, so that could be it more so than even a disease. Okay, well, thank you. Yep. So not too much you can do. Um, you know, there's something called deep root feeding. If this is for anybody with trees. That's where you auger holes in the ground and backfill those holes with compost. It's not affecting the tree directly. It's affecting, affecting the tree indirectly by feeding the soil, and then the soil will feed the trees. But 100-year-old trees, I don't know, if, you know how much of an impact that's actually going to have. So thanks, Gus and Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Hey guys, it's Alex Ferrario. Join me and Amy Mark Scores for Chili's Week in Hockey as we dive deep into the blue season every Monday night. Notes from around the league and everyone's favorite, What's Up With That? 8 to 10 Monday nights 
on KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is a time of year to start doing some pruning if you need to. You know, just realize don't cut back too far because then if you cut it back to where there's, I mean, well, obviously deciduous things through the wintertime, they're not going to have anything except dead sticks looking things. But on evergreens, if you cut them back too far, then through the entire wintertime, you're going to see just sort of like dead looking sticks. So just be cautious. If you need to cut back something severely, then that was a mistake in siding the plant in a circumstance that probably shouldn't have been. But uh, that's a little bit in hindsight. Janet lives in Creep Court. Janet, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Very good. That's good. Well, this summer, early this summer, I bought a bromelade plant, and it has just been beautiful. But I never had one before, and I don't really um, know... uh, what might happen to it over the uh, fall and winter. I brought it in so, you know, when the uh, cold weather came that uh, I would protect it. Mm -hmm. And uh, can you tell me anything about that? It is starting to put a new shoot out the side. And I didn't know if the top leaves die, you know, that looks like the bloom. Is this one that has, like, in the center of it, you pour water into the center? Exactly. So this is a more or less a cup type. So basically, just keep putting the water in there. The side shoot, you know, the mother plant could certainly stay, and then these side shoots are just the, an addition to it. Don't do any fertilizing with it. Put it in. You know, it doesn't necessarily need a sunny window, but it would prefer a sunny window. And um, just kind of take care of it the way you have in the past. They're really pretty low care. Okay, that's what I thought, and it just thrived. It's so beautiful. Right, they're spectacular. So, uh, How, so you got no flower on it this year? Oh, yeah, it's got that beautiful orange um, center that's just gorgeous. Right. Now, yeah. they, do, they do shoot out flowers, too. So besides oh. the foliage, which is very colorful, you ultimately will see some flower come out of it. Now, usually when they do flower, which may be a couple years, then that means that particular plant that shot out the flower shoot will decline okay. potentially. So, But just don't worry about it. Just kind of just enjoy it because they are striking. Yes, they are. And now I, I'm looking at the little um, information that comes with it, and I do see the flowers that you're talking about and how it could multiply there. Right on the plant. Thank you so much. Yeah, the bromeliads are spectacular. A lot of times, the one you have is not the one that they always sell as an air plant, which there are several that are air plants, but they don't have sort of the center cup that you fill with water. The air plant type bromeliad, all you have to do is kind of stick them around and they don't need really anything. They don't need water. They can get the moisture out of the, or the humidity out of the air. And uh, they, you know, they would prefer to have some light, but they don't necessarily need a whole lot of light. So there's several different varieties of bromeliads. So. Listen, thank you for giving me the right pronunciation of that plant. I, <laughs> I didn't know it. <laughs> well, God. it's kind of, you know, we try to make botanical Latin, you know, yes. really complicated. Tell me uh, about how often would I water it? Once a week? No, just look down in the you know look down in that center cup, and when there's no water, you know, or the water's getting low, then just fill it back up. All right, I really appreciate it. All right, thank you. Great, enjoy, it, Janet. 
And now let's head up to Florissant and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Hi. I have a, uh, I took two trees out of my backyard, and I'm trying to grow grass. It's been a couple of years. It came up this spring, but then it got so hot that it died. Now I have a good stand of grass and the two spots. And I was wondering if I could cut it, if I should cut it or just leave it. It's about two inches high. If the grass is only two inches high, definitely don't cut it any shorter than that. If it was okay. much longer than that, yeah. I mean, everybody should keep mowing their grass because you don't want the blades to get more than, let's say, three inches or three to four inches at the most. Because what will happen in the wintertime, the blades, if they're longer than that, will lay down on top of each other and create a humid problem or humidity mm-hmm. problem. And that will lead to winter fungus problems. And then winter fungus doesn't kill lawn generally. But what it does is set up a scenario where the summer fungus has a much better chance of getting in there, getting a start, and being much more damaging. Okay. Can I ask another question? Sure. I have a blooming cherry I put out. This is the second year for it, and it's looking. It looked pretty. It grew really, it grew really nice, and it's got, but it's got long limbs and kind of blows around when it, when it's windy. But it's it's it has a split in the crotch, like, and I don't know what to do for it. I don't want to lose it. I don't know if I should trim it or tie it or put some bandage or something over that wound or what I should do with it. Now, what kind of t- what what is this plant? It's just a, a, it's a tree, a blooming cherry. Okay, it's a cherry tree. Yeah, you don't want to split in the trunk, definitely. So, you know, there's not really too much you can do. Maybe let's, hmm, because how, what's the diameter of the trunk? Oh, it's small. It's only about two inches, two, two, three inches. I wouldn't worry it's too a- much about it then. I would just leave it. The only thing, potentially there's a problem. If this is a crack, sometimes it just means the the diameter of the tree is increasing. So the crack that looks like a crack is really just a crack in the bark as it expands. But if it is a real crack and you can tell that it's a crack, that's not necessarily a good sign because what happens is water will run down the branches above and it could get into the crack and cause something called heartwood rot or something along that line. So if it's just a major, you know, or it's just a minor branch or something that's causing this problem, uh, even if you cut that branch off where the, related to the crack doesn't mean that necessarily the crack is going to heal itself. So there's not really too much you can do. There's not, you know, any of those paints or any of that other stuff really don't do, really doesn't help. Okay. Well, should I, can I trim it off a little bit? Because... The, uh, it looks like that the limbs are getting real long, you know, for the size of the trunk. Well, you could certainly do that, but just realize that this probably flowers in the springtime. So yeah. when you cut the branches, then you're cutting off potential flowers for next spring. So you could either cut it now and reduce the amount of flowers you're going to have or wait till next spring after it flowers and then prune it at that time. Oh, I thought maybe I'd have to prune it when the sap's down. You know, when oh, no, that doesn't mean a whole lot, to be honest. Okay. All righty. Thank you very much. Yep. Enjoy your show. Well, thanks for having me a on lot. your show. Thanks, Joe. And now let's stay in Florissant to save gas and go into Susan's yard. Hi, Susan. Oh, thank you. Um, I just purchased a um, a blood good Japanese maple. Put mm-hmm. it in. It'll be three weeks this Tuesday. And I did that root starter when we put it in, and they instructed 
to use the root starter again at, at about three weeks once a month. How do do I continue to do that till frost or? Uh, you know, the root stimulator, that kind of thing. I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't have. I just, I don't think they do. It does all that much. As long as the tree was planted correctly, you could certainly do it. If the place that you know that sold you the tree says you got to do this if you want the tree to be guaranteed, then certainly continue to do it. But yeah, I mean, there's only going to be to a certain point. The root systems will stay viable, and even in the winter time, unless the ground is frozen heavily. They, you know, they can continue to, you know, send out small feeder roots. Now, don't put it, you know, if this is something that's going to help the root system, don't put it right at the base of the trunk. You got to put it on the perimeter of where the root ball was, because that's where the feeder roots are. And then the next time, if you wanted to do it, you could do it, you know, just do it maybe an inch or so beyond where you put it the previous time. But I would say, you know, once or twice, that should be adequate. Okay. And the other question I have about that tree is. Um, it's a solid straight trunk, and it hits about hip, right at the hip, mm-hmm. maybe about, you know, four feet or three feet up, and it's about six feet tall, and it's shaped very nicely. It's kind of rounded, and now in the spring, if I want to kind of keep it in, do, do I start trimming it, shaping it, or do I wait a couple of years to do that? I'd kind of like to try to keep it really shapely, rounded if possible. Well, you're going to just – so in other words, you're almost creating a bonsai in the outdoors. So you're, you're creating a lot of work for yourself, I will tell you that. But I would certainly, at least for one or two years, I would not do any pruning whatsoever except on branches that have no leaves. The reason why I'm saying that is because for the roots and the tree, the trunk and the leaves and everything, to get as well-established as possible – the nutrients and moisture come up from the root system, send it up through the trunk, and then when there's leaves there, it, the, the nutrients and moisture get out to the leaf. The leaf uses use sun to create chlorophyll, and chlorophyll is actually plant food that it makes for itself. So if you reduce the amount of leaves, then you're, you know, you're kind of reducing the amount of opportunity for the tree to make food and to share that food with the root system and the trunk and everything else. So that's kind of why I would, you know, stay away from doing any kind of pruning except branches that have no leaves. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, it's really kind of crucial. So uh, as far as keeping it in the, that same shape, uh, like I said, it's like bonsai. Only bonsai goes in a little dish. You don't have yours in a dish, but it's uh Going to be a lot of work, let's put it that way. Because that Crimson King, or let's say Japanese Maple, Crimson, I forget what variety she said she actually had. Uh, Susan, are you still there? Yeah, Blood Good. Okay, okay, the Blood Good. So in other words, it's the one that's maroon uh, all, all summer long from the spring to the end. They can get fairly large. So if you're going to try to keep it small, it's going to be a lot of work. Okay, thank you. Yep, and now let's go to... Uh, let's see. No, why don't we go ahead and just take a break? Mike Miller, KM Oaks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. 
You could win $1,000 with the King of Moex $1,000 Cash Harvest Giveaway. Now through Friday, November 2nd. Listen every weekday between 7 a.m. and 11 a.m. and 2 to 5 p.m. for the code word. When you hear it, text it to 72881. Message and data rates may apply. Remember, don't text and drive. The King of Moex $1,000 Cash Harvest Giveaway. Sponsored by WeFixMoney.com. Need emergency cash? Check out WeFixMoney.com for more. For complete rules, go to kmox.com slash rules. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Greg and I were just talking and he was giving me some advice on uh, how to go ahead. What time the show? This hour is over with, not the show. Edith lives in Hillsborough. Edith, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Uh, I have two Christmas cactuses. Uh, the weather has really affected them. I I bring them in. I'm planning on bringing them in today. Mm-hmm. I keep them on a screened-in porch. Uh, I take them out in the spring, you know, in and out to get them ready to live outside for the summer. And um, one of them is well over 100 years old, so I have been told, because it came from down through my husband's family. And it needs to be transplanted terribly, but it is so brittle. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to kill it. Uh, it has bloomed many times. It did not bloom at all last year. Uh, the one that's so old—that's one I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. And it, but I'm, I'm concerned about bringing. Now we've not had a, a frost where we live. We live on top of a hill. Now, there's, fro- there's been light frost around, but we've not had any where we live. But I had moved them back against the house on the porch, back against the house. So they were still outside in the cold weather. And I'm wondering if uh, it's okay to go ahead now and move them in. I know they have to have a little bit of cold for the blooms, for them to bloom, if I remember right. Right. And uh, so I'm wondering about transplanting, you know, how to go about transplanting this huge uh, Christmas cactus that blooms sometimes different times of the year. Right. Sometimes they get out of sequence. And when you're saying it's brittle, it's only brittle with the sections that are coming out of the potting mix, right? The ends are still, you know, flexible and green because that's, I mean, that's generally how they normally grow. So, So that's what's actually happening. And what makes you think that you have to transplant it? Because it is so big. it's. I mean, the pot is not breaking or anything, but it's been in this pot for I don't know how many years. Unless and, you're uh, just desperate, I would not fool with trying to transplant it. If it looks healthy, it's been performing very well, don't worry with it. Okay, well, I water it one time a week with a diluted uh, cactus food. Right. And... Uh, but I'm like I say, I move it out now. I move it in now, about now. And right. I was wondering if it was too early to move it in. No, you should be fine. I mean, it's been cool enough weather. If you want to, yeah, since it's on a porch, the frost is not. It's going to be a while before the it would get cold enough to actually affect in a, even a screen porch. So it's not like it's out where the frost can actually, let's say, get on it. It's right. not. You're never going to have frost on your porch. I'm assuming. 
or you never have. So you don't have to worry too much about that. Well, but, we, we, we do if it gets really, really cold. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, definitely get it in then. before then. But I would say just leave it alone if it's, you know, if it's been performing well. In the future, if you want to transplant it, don't do it because in theory they're supposed to be blooming this time of year. Well, not this time of year, but later on in the wintertime and early, let's say, December, November, January, sometime in that sequence. But wait until you're moving it back outside. Then if you wanted to transplant it, then only put it in a pot that's one inch bigger than the existing pot and then use a cactus mix with it. But I would not fool with it. I would just leave it alone. If it's been f- performing well for, and it's the age that you, know, you suspect it may be, I would just, there's no reason to transplant. They don't have to be. They're, I think, you know, I c- might be a little bit wrong on this, but I think their native habitat is, you know, kind of, uh, I don't want to say coming out of rocks, but in essence, that's what it is. So they have really kind of a tight system or a tight spot natively, naturally, you know, where they grow. So they don't need a whole lot of root system area. So I would say just leave it alone. Okay, because it's kind of like the soil has disappeared or something. Well, that's okay. It can just live on the old dead roots. I mean, it's kind of like orchids do the same. They're not the same, but, uh, you know, they kind of, they don't really need a whole lot of, let's say, new bark. You want to keep everything just as tight as you possibly can with these guys. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, because, you know, a lot of times you'll buy them, let's say, new plants are in three or four inch or green plastic pots, and you got one little stem coming out of there, and it takes eons before you even get a you know some new growth out of there. So you're just going to have a healthier plant just in general, just to leave it. So thanks, Edith. And now let's go to Curtis in Walnut Park. Hi, Curtis. Good morning, Mr. Merlin. How are you doing? Very good. I want to say thank you for this show first and foremost. A friend named Suzanne introduced me to your show a couple years ago, and I find it a good reason to wake up on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Um, I wanted to ask a couple questions. I'll ask both questions, and then I'll just kind of let you answer. The first question is: I have a my front, the front of my house faces the west, so it gets late sun in the day. And during the summer, I have all kind of flowers out there, and it's real pretty and everything. But I wanted to do something over the winter with something. I'm wondering: are there any flowers that do well fall, winter that have color? Um, that I can plant, and are there any food stuffs? I heard that like cabbages, kales, uh, chard, that kind of thing does well fall winter. But I'm wondering if it's too late to get that stuff in the ground. Well, if they're available, you can still plant them. Now, I will tell you, you're growing those. That's the cabbage and kale. You're probably going to get the ornamental ones because they have purplish tints and all this other stuff on the foliage, but they don't really flower per se. So, and if it gets super cold, even they're going to get knocked down by the cold. So they don't really, uh, surviving through the wintertime is not going to really work for them. Uh, probably the best thing, if you want to have something that, you know, is going to give you some color in the wintertime in this circumstance would be to look at some of the evergreen ground covers. Then with these evergreen ground covers, that will give you color. You're not going to get any flowers in the wintertime because basically nothing flowers in the wintertime at all that's outside 
And then consequently, then in this, when you're growing your other things that are more colorful in the spring, you could plant them in the ground cover. But that's about the only thing that's going to give you some color in the wintertime is a type of ground cover. Let's say a ground cover like sedum, S-E-D-U-M, dragon's blood. It has a maroon color. It gets about, it's kind of, your the ground cover just means carpet, basically. And it's going to get about six inches high. And so that would give you six inches of maroon color in front of your house. But uh, other than that, there's not going to be in the cabbage and kale. They're going to last for, you know, probably all the way up until uh, a hard frost. So let's put it that way. And then they're going to start going downhill a little bit. Now, the sedum and dragon blood, are those two separate ones? No, it's a variety of sedum. Sedum is, let's say, the, the, the last name of the plant. And dragon's blood is the first name and the middle name. Okay. And then one more quick question is that I have some mint that I have in pots that were kind of lining the steps on my uh, going up to the house mm-hmm. over, this, over the summer. And I have uh, chocolate mint, uh, spearmint, and then there's one of the mint. I forget what it is. I wonder if I bring those in for the winter, will they keep going or are those kind of done for the year and I just have to start all over next year? No, you don't have to start all over, but I would not bring them in. If you got a place or an opportunity, I would, and they're in pots which it sounds like you said they were, just dig a hole someplace in your garden and just drop the pot down in the hole. And because mints are really tough and durable. Now, sometimes the winter will kill them off, but for the most part, they're really tough. And so consequently, if you bring them in, it's going to make them sad. So just leave them outside, but you know, protect the root system unless they're in relatively large pots by, you know, by putting them down into a hole in a bed space or a garden space. Oh, real good. Well, thank you a whole lot, Mr. Miller. I really appreciate it. God bless you, sir. Well, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, just when you put it, drop it down into a hole in your bed space or in a garden, leave about one inch of the top rim of the pot above the surrounding ground. But mints, you know, chocolate mint, eh, it's a little bit iffy, but all the other mints are just tough and durable. I am planting herbs myself in window boxes. I have uh, thyme. I have uh, lemon thyme. I have two different types of variegated sages, and then I have some rosemary. Now, these window boxes I am going to put in our kitchen window, so that's going to actually let some heat out, you know, in that circumstance. So that's what I'm going to do as far as with some uh, herbs, which, you know, mint is an herb. So consequently, that's, you know, what I, I just, in the past, I've always put in like miniature junipers and things like that. So this year I want to try something a little different. So I've got the herbs. I've already got them planted in the window boxes. They're out sitting in the full sun, you know, getting acclimated to being transplanted from, the, let's say, the nursery to my home. And uh, right now we've got all kinds of crazy Halloween stuff in the window. So as soon as the Halloween stuff comes down, then the herbs are going to go up into the uh, kitchen windows because, you know, I mean, just the smell sometimes with the time, it's fantastic. Even if sort of the wind blows the leaves together, the stems, and you can actually get a nice fragrance out of it. So that's a real plus with the, you know, that's why I went with the time. And I went with two different types of time just because of the difference in the smell. So you just never know. But uh, yeah, just, you know, our hearty stuff is great fun. So. Folks, you got any questions or concerns, take a look out your window, and I will be back after the news. 
KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Megan. And folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. You know, we live by Christie Park. A lot of the trees have not lost their leaves yet. Once they do start losing their leaves, because we live on the northeast corner of Christie Park, the prevailing winds are always out of the southwest. I get huge amounts of leaves in the yard. And so consequently, I have huge biceps from all the raking I have to do. So this year, I decided we have one sugar maple in the front of the house. It's pretty much lost about 55 to 60% of the leaves. And uh, so I thought, well, what I'll do is I have a mulching mower, so I'll just mulch. But I'm going to bag them as I mulch rather than just mulching them and let them fall down into the grass. So I did that. It is, you know, my mower is kind of small. But, you know, consequently, I mean, just to do the little front yard that I have, I had to dump that, you know, let's say bagger on my mower several times. So that is just like... Uh, so I'm not going to do that anymore. I figure uh, it's just easier to rake it than to monkey around with that kind of stuff. So anyway, thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call. We can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds. Uh, your annuals, my annuals, some of them went went south. We didn't. Get, it never got that cold. But the sweet potato vines, the uh, hyson bean vines. The moonflower vines, they're cooked. They're gone. Uh, I left some of the vines up for a scary Halloween look. But uh, the annuals, the begonias I have still look fantastic. The bulbs, I'm going to start planting my spring flowering bulbs. Either I don't know if I'll get a chance today or not, but sometime in the relatively new, or you know, the ones I got from Operation Brightside. So uh, I got daffodils, I got tulips, and then I ordered some other ones, uh, some earlier spring flowering ones like grape, grape hyacinths and crocus and giant flowering onions. I thought, hmm, I, had, I haven't grown them for several years, but I don't remember the bulbs being quite that small. So we'll end up seeing how they look. Your edibles, I have some great-looking uh, ornamental kales and cabbages in pots. And uh, they, I mean, they love this cold weather. And I was speaking to the gentleman in the past hour about, you know, they're going to do fine until it gets pretty darn cold. Your ground covers, how about your house plants? Better get them inside soon. Uh, Your lawn, your perennials, your roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but always remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Greg is producing today, so... I always know that anything that goes wrong or if I mess up, he's there and he can catch me as I go down and make a mistake. So uh, if during the week, I do something called a walk and talk, which is a landscape evaluation where I come to your home and we can do, uh, you know, talk about whatever is on your mind. Or we can talk about your houseplants, how they're looking, what's going on on the inside as well. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The email and phone number is right there, and you can contact me, and I'll share 40-plus years of experience um, in the outdoors. You know, I love the outdoors and everything else, so, uh, boy, I've been very lucky to actually be able to get a job that I enjoy, you know, 
in many, many different ways and the authoring the books and all that other stuff and KMOX, the Garden Hotline, all these other things, teaching at the community college at Merrimack. It's just been an absolutely wonderful trip so far. And I hope it doesn't end anytime soon. Anyway, now a special recognition for an individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to all the maple trees. Woo! I mean, <laughs> some of them are just like strikingly beautiful. So, you know, I know they're probably not listening to the Garden Hotline, but I certainly appreciate the maple trees. But also the Shaw Nature Reserve is going to host its 13th annual art show and sale. And that's going to be not this weekend, but it's going to be November, Saturday, November 3rd, and Sunday, November 4th. And that's going to be out at the Shaw Nature Reserve, which is way, and it's not that far out. So anyway, you can just go online and check out and find out where the Dana Brown Overnight Education Center is at the Shaw Nature Reserve. And the Nature Reserve is in Gray Summit. It's really pretty, you know, near Highway 44. So it's not really difficult to get to or anything else. And it's a per- you can find that perfect piece of art to hang in your home among paintings, photography, and folk art on display. You can browse selections of stunning woodworking, basketry, glass art, and sculptures. And shop for beautiful handcrafted jewelry for yourself or a gift for a loved one. So next weekend, November 3rd and 4th, Shaw Nature Reserve in Grace Summit. You can check it out, and you will be absolutely surprised. It, it, and besides... The Nature Reserve, if you haven't been there or you haven't been there in the fall, it is strikingly beautiful, too. So you're not only going to see great pieces of art, but you're going to see a wonderful place that actually Henry Shaw bought way back when, when he was obviously still alive. But he was afraid the pollution in the city of St. Louis was going to destroy the Botanical Garden. So he bought the land out in Gray Summit because... If that started happening, he saw the plant material starting to decline, he was going to move the botanical garden out to Gray Summit. So you never know where things are going to go or anything else. But anyway, so that's the story on that. So the art show is something that you should enjoy. Let's see if we can get to Scott from Crystal City. Scott, how are you today? Pretty good. Good morning, sir. Hi. I I looked on the Internet, and we had cut down this at my brother-in-law's house. There was three stumps, and they were growing in. It looked like a plum tree, but it was wild. And part it got thinner as it went up. Half of it was leaning on the house, and half was going to the uh, gar- uh, the neighbor's fence. So we had cut this thing down. You mm-hmm. know, but I wanted to get a hold of you because you're really good at getting to the root of the problem. <laughs> Pardon the pun. But we cut this this down the, all the way down to the base, and now the trunks themselves look like they were about maybe the size of two coffee cups, each one. Right. And it got thinner as it went up. We cut it down, and I'm not kidding, and about a week and a half later, this thing had grown into a full-blown bush again. And I'm not really sure what it was, but it looked like a plum tree. It had the fiery purple leaves on it, but it bore no fruit. And I was wondering if you might know what that was. It turned into more of a weed than a tree. Right. Basically, it's a purple-leaf plum. It's a tree that's grown. Usually, it has a fairly short life about 15 years plus, and then it starts declining. And so consequently, that's probably what it is. And the reason why it exploded with growth is because the root system didn't realize it had been beheaded, and it shot out all this growth, and that's what you're basically seeing. 
is a result of that. So purple leaf plum, it's a type purple of prunus, P-R-U-N-U-S. That is the mm-hmm. genus, and it's one that's uh, basically sold as an ornamental and uh, produces no fruit whatsoever. Okay, and that's what it did look like at first, I guess. That wasn't more of an ornamental thing. But I appreciate your time, sir, and it's a purple leaf prune again. You, uh, uh, purple leaf plum. Purple leaf plum, I right. think. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for hanging on as we went to the news and everything else. Let's go to Anna in Moscow Mills. Anna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Um, I was wondering about a tree I had along our fence line. This summer, It, I'm, we're not sure if it sapped out or what, but my husband was doing the lawn, went by it. There were bugs, all different types, up and down it, you know, bees, wasps, and all kinds of things. So I didn't know if it was on its way out, if it just decided to sap. We do have a lot of woodpeckers around here, but I don't know um, what even type of tree it is. We kind of moved here last year, so I'm not sure of every type. So basically, probably, I mean, there are like sapsuckers as well as woodpeckers, but sapsuckers will fly onto trees. They'll hold onto the side of the trunk and they'll they'll drill holes that are about a quarter inch or so, and they're only like about a half inch apart. And then depending upon what type of tree it is, those things will ooze, you know, sap. And so a lot of times the insects just, you know, I mean, they go there because that's an easy source for food. Obviously, the sapsucker, you know, thinks the same thing. So, I mean, they may even come back and visit those, you know, those places they had drilled earlier. But there are some trees that have hundreds and hundreds of sapsucker holes along the trunk that, you know, where they've basically come in and, you know, they're drinking as they sort of drill these holes in there. But like I said, the insects will come, and they love that stuff. It's just sure. it's an easy thing. So the tree's okay. You yeah, the tree should be fine. Okay. As it's long still as got leaves and everything, yeah, it's still good. Yeah, so every, yeah, this, the birds are smart enough, unlike some of the insects, to not mm-hmm. do enough, let's say, to kill a tree because okay. they like it as a good source for food. So okay. consequently... Okay, and one more quick question. Sure. Uh, I know you've probably answered this in the past, but I've missed it. Um, the front, I have some uh, pompous grass. Well, they're grasses. I'm not sure what the name of them are. They're, they're dwarf and purple, and they've turned brown um, mostly at the top, and they've got the little wispy things. I'm not sure yeah. what they're called. Um, but they, uh, when do you cut them down exactly? I've heard late fall, um, spring. Can, can you give me a... Well, if this is this may be an annual type grass. So, have you been there a full full a full winter already? Uh, yeah, it's it's perennial. Okay, so because, it's a perennial. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hypopenicetum, p e n n i s e t u m, and okay. basically, what the fluffy thing at the top that's a seed. So it depends like upon. Like they look like cattails, kind of. Yeah, like exactly right. That's flowers. Cat-tails. That's okay. grass flowers. But okay. so it depends upon your own personality. If you don't want to see them through the wintertime because they're not really going to be all that attractive in the wintertime, you can cut them down once, let's say, other things are starting to let's change colors because they're not going to change colors. So mm-hmm. And just cut them down, cut them down to about six inches and just get rid of the blades and get rid of the flower stalks and everything else. Or you can leave them through the wintertime and do it as we come out of winter. It's really personal okay. choice. Personal choice. Okay, I was just making sure it wouldn't, like, rot in the winter. I've heard that. If it just sits, on, you know, it can rot, possibly. So. No, that's not going to rot. I appreciate your opinion on it. Thanks a lot. I've been waiting to hear that, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to call. So, okay, great. <laughs> thank you. Lot. Mike Bye. Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll be back after these messages. 
The only way you can take KMOX with you is with the Radio.com app. Download it today and listen to us anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. We're headed to Baldwin, and that's where Beth lives. Beth, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Mike. How are you guys doing? Very good. Okay, listen, I've got some, uh, I got a 50-pound bag of grass seed here I got from uh, uh, a place that did my sod, and uh, I want to throw it down. But my question is, uh, do I rake up, you know, I got like that thatch, you know, because I had my place sodded like three years ago or four mm-hmm. years ago. So do I rake up the thatch and then throw the seed down? That's a better thing to do, and I'll tell you, putting the seed down this late, you know, the chances of it, you know, depending upon how our weather's going to do, you may be wasting your, let's say, time, energy, and everything else. But definitely, if you want to put it down, rake first. You don't have to use a garden rake. Use a leaf rake just so you can get the thatch out because you want to have that grass seed that you're throwing out to be in contact with the soil. So when it does germinate then it can go, you know, the root system can go straight down into the ground. If you don't, it may just sit on top of the thatch, and then consequently it's going to germinate there anyway, but the chance of the root system making it into the soil is going to be somewhat a lot less. And then consequently, and if the root system's not into the ground and we get a, you know, start getting colder and colder and colder, what's going to happen is when the ground thaws and then the ground freezes and thaws, it causes, let's say, smaller, less established root systems to heave up out of the soil. And then consequently, the plant that we're talking about, and with you, it's grass seed, will not be able to survive that. Well, I thought they always said it's good to uh, uh, throw down seed in the fall. Well, it, not, you know, it is in the fall, but it would have been better to do it a little bit earlier. So you oh, can early. make sure that you know, while the ground is warm, that, you know, the root systems can get established and everything else. You can do it. It may work out fine. It all depends upon what the weather's going to do. That's where the problem's going to be. Okay. And then if you, do put, the, if you oh. do put the seed down, you're going to have to water it basically every day for a couple weeks. Okay. Now, let me ask you this. Um, the people that come through, through and will dethatch your lawn, there's people that will do that, and there's people that will uh, aerate. So if I was going to have one done, what would be the better to do? To put the seed down, I'd say dethatch. Okay. Okay. Because I had it, uh, I had it aerated uh, in the spring. That's fine, then. Definitely dethatch. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot, Mike. Yep. I love your show. And well, thanks for having me on your show. Now let's go to Ken in South County. Hi, Ken. Hi, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Hey, I have a tree issue. I have a uh, crimson king maple, probably fifteen to twenty years old. And within the last year, I've noticed a splitting in the bark. And then all of a sudden, about this last month, I'm seeing where the bark is separating from the tree itself. And it's got some brown stuff oozing out and everything. What in the world is going on, would you know? Um, to me, if you're, just, if you're seeing splitting in the bark, if there's some stuff oozing out, I wouldn't be overly concerned. It's probably the diameter of the tree increasing, and that's going to cause the bark to split. You know, why it's splitting to the point where it's getting into the, let's say, the vascular system or the veins, which are right below the bark, you know, that may be a little bit extreme. But if the tree looks healthy, the leaves are colorful, most of the branches are still fully leafed out, then I would say you don't have anything to worry about. 
with, with the bark is actually pulling away from the tree, though. Right. As it does, you know, as, Do a girth, as the girth of the tree increases, the older bark is too small, and so it just pops open. And so, consequently, the part of it is, you know, the, the, where it was connected to the other side of where it's, let's say, curling or peeling back, that part is going to be loose. You know, it's not falling off, I'm assuming. It's still stuck to the tree or stuck to the trunk, right? Well, it's still stuck, but, I mean, it's peeled out probably two inches or so. You can see where it's peeling away from the tree. Would I remove that bark? Would that be a wise thing to do? Uh, don't tear it. But if it's loose enough that you can pull it off easily, yes. But don't okay. you know? Don't yank on it or anything else. So just wiggle it a little bit, and if it feels like it's going to fall off, then what you what would happen in this situation is, is trees have something called a cambium layer, and the cambium layer that's basically going to form a scab over any kind of opening that you know that's unnatural. So if this is the circumstance, again, if the tree's healthy, then I would not be overly concerned with this. Yeah, the the uh, it, the leaves are now now just about off the tree now. Right, but it's it seems like it's a very healthy tree. It doesn't have any problems with it. So. Yeah, so I would say it's just natural growth and why it popped down into the you know xylem and phloem, which are actually the vein names of the tree. One goes up and one goes down, but consequently. Then you know why it, you know the girth increased that much to cause that. It's a little bit difficult to say, but I would say it's crimson king maples are a little bit uh, iffy here anyway. But I would say don't worry about it. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. I appreciate it certainly. And now let's go from South County to St. Charles. And what's going on with Judy? Judy, what's happening? Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I had a comment uh, pertaining to the uh, green giant arborvita trees. Okay. I have about 25 of those around my yard. Ooh. Um, yes, <clears throat> absolutely love them. I suspect that this gentleman who had the issue with them, he said they were newly planted right. this year. My guess is there has been a lack of water because I had some that were put out last fall, and most of them did fine. But I had one or two that I really had to keep the uh, drip line on this summer because it was so hot for so long. And the browning that he's talking about, I suspect he's seen that on a different variety of arborvita. I have several different arborvitas in my yard, and I don't know what the proper plant term is for it, but I come from the country, and I relate it to, like, when chickens lose their feathers, they call it molting. And many of the evergreens will drop a lot of their needles before going into winter right. for protection. And so if it's not a true green giant that he has, perhaps this process is what's happening. Well, that was you know, certainly good advice. And it could be related to, you know, like you, drought circumstance you talked about. And what I said was it could be too much moisture if they weren't planted properly. And definitely, I mean, the conifers in general – do drop needles this time of year, but usually I don't see it happen too much with the arborvitae, and so that's I even mentioned that. But I certainly appreciate your insight. I, you know, that's wonderful. And you must love arborvitae if you've got multiple varieties and you have twenty five of the green giants. You're living in a forest. Yes, I am. It took me a long time to find the green giants. I would not have any other arborvitae now <laughs> because uh, typical arborvitae can have some issues that. Usually the green giants don't have. Right, and the green giants get huge. 
Yes, they will. (laughs) That's great. Thank you very much for your show. Well, thank you, Judy, and thanks for calling in and giving some insight. Nothing's more insightful than someone that's actually growing the specific plant themselves. So thanks, Judy. And now let's go to Shirley and Festa. Shirley, how are you today? Just fine. I have a question. I had four azaleas, and I killed them all with too much fertilizer. And what I want to know is how long do I have to wait before I can replant anything in that area because of the fertilizer? I should be. I mean, if the soil's all worked up and everything else, the fertilizer should not have an impact on anything you put in. Unless you put so much. I did. I put too much. Well, I mean, a huge amount because fertilizer is alkaline. And so you may have contaminated the soil and created an alkalinity circumstance. So if you want to do, if you want to really make sure, you could, you know, get a soil test done and find out what the soil pH is. If the pH is above 7, then that's not, you know, that's not necessarily good, especially if you're trying to grow, let's say, other azaleas, holly, or anything that's evergreen, or even some of the hydrangeas. But if you're not really all that concerned about the, you know, about the situation, how long ago did you pull them out after they died? pulled them out yet. I gave them all the benefit to see if they live. <laughs> I bought the fertilizer, and on the front of the package it says it will not burn in large letters. So I thought, boy, this is safe. I just put a big handful by each azalea, and in about two months they was both dead. Yeah. All four, four of them were dead. Well, it could have been the fertilizer, but also it could have been just the weather and other things as well. So, I mean, just a handful is not a whole lot. As long as you sprinkle it around, you just didn't dump it in one spot. Well, after I saw they were dying i read the instructions on the backside, and it was a lot less i was supposed to use a lot less than what i used right so that's you know basically always reading a label is very very important before we do anything even products we've used in the past so i would say you're probably once you pull them out i would just you know work the soil up you get rid of the hole where you're pulling them out from i wouldn't plant anything necessarily this fall i'd wait until spring so it'd be safe in the spring should be okay thank you very much yep Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. We'll, we will be back after these messages. Weekday mornings. Start your day with Total Information AM. I'm Tom Ackerman. I'm Debbie Monterey. Tom and Debbie keep you updated with world, national, and local news. Local news matters. We cover the morning commute with Roger Brand and Maria Kina. A couple of accidents in the city. A report of an accident at Westbound 70 at Broadway. And you get the latest weather. This is Hanky with the meteorologist team. More breezy and turning much cooler today. And everything sports. A lot of good chances for the Blues. Total Information AM. I listen to you and I feel ready to go for the day. Weekday mornings beginning at 5 on KMOX. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Make sure that you go out and just check your lawn. The majority of my lawn is zoysia, but there are still some other types of grasses that, you know, is still there as a zoysia tries to squeeze them out. And so those blades on the other stuff, which is probably bluegrass the way it looks, got kind of long. So that's why I went ahead and I talked about uh, mulching the leaves and everything else. But also I went out there originally or initially to cut the grass because I didn't want a fungus problem happening, you know, to that long elongated blades. And consequently, it may impact the zoysia. My zoysia is definitely headed towards dormancy. It's almost completely 
well, I shouldn't say completely brown, but if you look down closely, it is getting browner and browner as the days goes on. Now, one thing I'm a little curious to, I got one spot of Bermuda, and I don't get rid of it because I want to see what it does in relationship to all the other stuff. So I kind of, I don't want to say I take care of it any better, but it's just, you know, it's a curiosity factor. I like to grow some things that, you know, I shouldn't probably have in my lawn. Uh, consequently, so when somebody calls and says, well, I've got the Bermuda and it's doing this, this, and this, then I can kind of relate to it. It was like the gentleman or the lady with the green giant arborvitae. When you're really growing something, it really makes a big difference on, you know, how the, you know how you see it and how it actually works for you. So, again, if you have any questions or concerns, 314 436 7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Sterling lives in West County. Sterling, how are you? I'm well today, sir. Thank you. I have some uh, landscape, uh, you know, around my house, uh, around the foundation. You know, I have boxwoods, azaleas, and, and, and so forth, some ornamental grasses. And what I was wondering this morning was uh, this time of year through, you know, the, the spring when, they, when the weather starts warming up, how concerned should I be about, you know, watering them or, uh, you know, making sure that the soil is, is moist or anything like that? It doesn't necessarily have to be overly moist, but if we have a, a period of time from this point forward until the spring rains come, uh, if we haven't had any rain for 10 days, I'd make sure that they're watered because the root system can dehydrate. And then the cold air will sink when the root system or the soil you know, will dehydrate. The root system will dehydrate. That kind of opens up air pockets underneath the ground. And if the weather gets really cold, cold air will sink down into there. And it could potentially kill the feeder roots of especially things like broadleaf evergreens, like your boxwood and azalea are. Probably the ornamental grasses, not that much of an impact on them. But anything that has a little bit of an iffy life anyway then that would be the ones I would be concerned with. So 10 days with no, you know, not, uh, you know, not enough rain, then that would be a time when I would, even if you've turned off your faucets and everything else, uh, I would go out and carry buckets if you have to and just water each individual plant. Yeah. And so if like, if there's, especially if it's, you know, like a 40 degree day and there's no snow sitting on the, on the, on them to check them. Right. Exactly. And, I mean, it's, you know, the mulch will help. So mulch helps conserve moisture. That's certainly something to consider doing. And so that's what, you know, is very important as well. And so, I mean, you can do things to, let's say, make it so it's not so dramatic. But uh, I'm sure you do have some mulch around your plant materials. And that helps, but it doesn't eradicate the problem. If you do have mulch, the best thing you can do is just kind of go underneath where the plants are or just slightly out from where the plants are, pull the mulch back, and see if the ground has any kind of moist feeling at all. If it feels really dry, then I would certainly think about doing some watering. All righty. Thank you, sir. Yep, thank you. And now let's go to Alton and see what's going on with Joseph. Joseph, how are you? Hi, Michael. Good to hear you. Uh, Two questions. Is it okay to uh, cut evergreens back now? Uh, are we talking about evergreens as far as broadleaf evergreens like boxwood, azalea, holly? Or are we talking about things like pines and spruces? Pines. And, pines. Uh, are you cutting branches off, like limbing them up, or are you just cutting no, them to I make them shoot? Like the inside or some, some, they're just big, big, and they're very nice. But I just want to 
cut them down a little bit more, especially one that has a, it's getting kind of hollow in between the branches. Well, that's going to happen anyway. So your pruning is not going to create new branches on the tree. It will not do that at all. So okay. if you, if just pruning them for the sake of pruning, you're not going to shape them. You're not going to make them fuller. You're not going to do anything, especially if they're, let's say, older and more mature. It's just not going to happen. So you can, you can go ahead and do the pruning. I'm going to actually, I have a, a Leland cypress, which I'm going to limb up some of the branches. So in other words, the lower ones I'm going to take off entirely to let some more sunlight in and the area around the base of them so I can cut the grass. But just pruning to shape, no, I wouldn't bother. Okay, okay, so that's one. Uh, I like to mulch leaves and put them around uh, the house and around the gardens and everything. Should I put, uh, like, manure or something in there? Would that do anything to help? No, it really won't because these, you know, to make a really good mulch, these things should always be blended together. So whether it's manure, you know, and don't use cow manure because you get weed seeds in it, but horse manure and things like that, and even your leaves, you know, sometimes depending upon the type of leaf can be a little bit more problematic if it, haven't, if it hasn't been composted itself. If you've had good luck doing it, certainly do it, but I would not recommend just mixing manure in with the leaves. I would just use the leaves by themselves. Okay, that's good to know. Uh, I'm going to cut my grass today, and it's like we've been on a long vacation, and just uh, look forward to hearing your show. That's well, great. Well, thank you. Yeah, and before anybody puts any kind of mulch down of any type, make sure you water the area first. So that's going to be crucial to actually just for the benefit of the plant material. Donaldson, Illinois. Danny, how are you today? Doing great, Mike. I was hoping today I could get some guidance from you on starting a uh, patch of blackberries. When I was a kid, my parents had blackberries growing along a stretch of fence here at the farm. And over the years, uh, the weeds took over and we just ended up doing away with them. But now I was kind of wanting to start uh, over from new and uh, hoping you could tell me how to do it right. Probably just uh, improve the soil through the winter time. So in other words, add a couple inches of compost, turn all the soil over, get any kind of weed circumstances in the area where you're going to grow the patch, you know, either hand weed or something like that because the herbicides become less and less effective, and then get your blackberries in the springtime. Okay, so do you just buy them as starts now, like you can buy them from the garden centers? or Probably not um, every garden center, but you can buy them growing in pots or you can buy them as bare root plants. Bare root stuff is going to be probably available earlier, but obviously it's bare root, so you know, you're going to have to get them in the ground pretty darn quickly. And so it would be just you know your personal choice. I'd probably have a tendency so to mix them up, buy some that are growing in pots, that are more well-established than the ones that are bare root because the bare root ones are much younger. It's going to take them a longer time to develop where they're actually going to start producing some blackberries for you. Okay, and what are we looking at? Full sun, partial sun? Because these that I remember, they were partial sun at best, but they did well. Yeah, I would say full sun is going to be better for them. Okay, and are we looking at a couple years minimum before they really start producing... uh, uh, quite a bit of the berries. Absolutely. Probably four plus years, maybe even five years. Okay, that's why I wanted to get on it as soon as I could. So 
All right. Well, we got a project for next spring then. I appreciate the advice. Well, sure. And again, if you use the bare root ones, it's going to add another couple of years before you're going to get much, much production out of them. The ones growing in pots, usually they're in two-gallon or three-gallon pots. They're going to give you fruit much, you know, a year or two quicker. So thanks, Danny. And let's see. We'll get one more call in before we take a break. And let's go to George and O'Fallon. Hi, George. Hi, Mike. Hey, I got a question for you. We had a lantana that was really striking this summer. And I wanted to see if I could keep it over the winter. I dug it up, potted it up, and it's looking good now. But what do I do with it over the winter? Basically, keep your fingers crossed. Put it in a really, really, really bright, sunny window. Don't do any watering. They want to be more or less drought-stressed. They're not technically, they're not a cactus or anything else, but they do a lot better, you know, in drier soils and moist soils and especially inside and uh, having luck with them, it's just going to be more or less a roll of the dice if it's going to do well through. It's not going to be you know all that productive during the wintertime, even in front of like a sliding glass you know door, all that kind of stuff. But you, basically, you're bringing it inside just so you can maybe put it outside the following you know next year. What about in a garage in a cool garage that wouldn't freeze? Get uh, a little sunlight. A little sunlight is going to mean it's going to drop all its leaves. So it's got. They have to have really bright window or really bright sun, or they just don't do well. Would it survive the winter in the garage? Uh, depends upon how cold your garage gets. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't freeze. It gets you know forties, upper thirties. Yeah, it should be able to survive that. But uh, during that course of that time, when the days get shorter and shorter, and less sunlight's coming in, again, there's going to be a lot of leaf dropping. Or a lot of leaf just, you know, and don't definitely, even out there in that situation, you're probably going to water it a little bit more than if it was in the house. But maybe once a month, take some water out and just check it and then water it so the root system doesn't dehydrate entirely. Because even in those temperatures, though it's not all that cold, it could cause trouble. Do you know anything about purple fountain grass? Does it make it through the winter here? Uh, Depends upon which, you know, usually it does not. The lady had called earlier, I think maybe last hour, and she said she had the purple fountain grass. And, uh, I, you know, I don't see, I have not seen it be, I think she had, maybe she, let's say she had the penicetum. But uh, usually the purple fountain grass does not do all that well here in the winter. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you, sir. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Tonight at Enterprise Center, the Blues face off against the Chicago Blackhawks for the third time this season. Saturday night, Hockey Night in St. Louis starts with the pregame show at 6.30 and the faceoff at 7 on your home for Blues hockey, KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we got about six or seven minutes to go, and so if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Diana lives in St. Charles. Diana, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Very good. Um, I, my question is, we live in St. Charles and have clay soil, is there anything I can do to put in the soil so the grass doesn't get so compacted down? Basically, you're going to have to like go through a whole system of multiple years where you have once or twice a year, you have core aeration done. So in other words, that's a machine that's going to come in that's going to bring take plugs out of the ground. 
Then after the core aeration is done, then you put you spread compost about any place between a quarter and a half inch. The compost will also help the top of your soil, but it will fall down in the holes from the core aeration. But that's basically the only way to improve the soil so you're going to have a better lawn. But everybody in this entire region, for the most part, except Florissant Valley, you know, has some pretty heavy-duty clay soils. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, there's no easy way to get around this. I mean, the clay, that's why I saw something in the newspaper the other day uh, that was said, you know, the bricks here, because of our clay, you know, when they take down all these older buildings and everything else and they clean up the bricks, they are selling at a more expensive cost St. Louis bricks than new bricks that are manufactured. That shows you what kind of clay we have here. So thanks, Diana. Yeah, unfortunately, it's in my yard. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, I understand thanks. completely. And Bye. Is that Arlen? Arlene and from St. Charles as well. Hi, Arlene. Yes, good morning, Mike. Um, for Mother's Day, I received a, a very nice um, azalea, double-blooming azalea, and I left it in the pot, sort of a medium-sized pot, mm-hmm. uh, and just set it outdoors in kind of a semi-shady place on the side of my front porch. It bloomed nicely. I kept watering it, and about two weeks ago, it started blooming again, uh, just as nicely as it was the first time. So I'm thinking I probably need to plant it. Is it too late to plant it now this time of the year, or should I keep it in the pot over the winter? I'd probably keep it in the pot, but again, dig a hole and just drop the pot into the hole. Okay. And will this need bright sun, or could it be semi-shady? It can be semi-shady. It doesn't want to have competition with roots. Now, I'm hoping that this is a hardy variety, because there are varieties of azaleas that are sold as gifts certain times of the year that are not ones that can survive our wintertime. But okay. uh, so there's no way to know without knowing the exact variety of which, you know, which azalea it is. Okay. So just dig a hole, drop, it, drop the pot, leave about an inch of the top rim of the pot above the surrounding ground, and uh, that's about all you need to do. And then it may okay. survive, it may not. Okay, thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to Dennis, and Dennis is in Lima. Hi, Dennis. Hey, Mike, how are you? Very good. I just, I'm just calling to provide some information to the listeners. Um, my wife and I recently purchased a home, and uh, we noticed a very, very strong pet urine smell in the, in the front entryway of the home. It was about an eight-foot-long sidewalk from the garage, or I'm sorry, from the driveway to the front door. And it was lined with uh, boxwoods, which I'm not a big fan of boxwoods personally, but I couldn't understand this, this strong pet urine smell. As it turned out, it was the boxwoods themselves. And I removed them, and the and odor's gone. I coincidentally uh, was at a, a, a local bank and parked next to some boxwoods, and I could smell the same smell on those boxwoods. So I did a little research and learned that certain varieties of boxwoods can... Um, emit a, a, a very strong, they, they basically call it a cat urine smell. Right. It was really, really strong. But I just wanted to pass that along to any of the listeners who might have boxwoods and wonder where the odors come from. I just removed them. I'm not a fan of them anyway, so I removed them and my problem was solved. I just wanted to pass that on to, to the listeners. Well, great. Well, thanks, Dennis. And Joe from St. Charles, could you do it kind of quick? Hi, I've got it. I want to uh, add a, a room onto my house. I have 240 in a 40-foot diameter, I'm sorry, let me go back again, 
two trees are 24 inches in diameter. They're located about 25 feet from my house. I want to put a foundation next to it, with, and I'm wondering how close can I get to the tree before I do significant damage to the tree. Basically, go out there and look and see how far out the branches extend towards your house. The okay. feeder roots are straight down from that point, from the extension of the branches. So consequently, how much of that you tear up, you know, depending upon percentage-wise and everything else, it would probably be 25% of the feeder root system will be major damage. Everything else around it will be highly compacted due to the equipment. So these trees are going to be absolutely maximized stressed. So regardless okay. of what you do or anything else, even if they put fences around them and try not to, let's say, drive up too close to the trunk or hit the trunk, just a compaction of the root system, that's where the real problem and reduction of the root system because of the digging for the foundation. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Yeah, I was going to try to stay about 10 feet from them, but I guess that's probably not going to help. No, it's not really going to help all that much. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yep. I appreciate your show. Well, I appreciate everybody for having me on your show. Remember, if you were not there, I certainly would not be here. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.